continue our Colossians series is Olivia Allen. Let's welcome Olivia. Thank you. Good to see you all. Good morning. Hi. You guys are the best, I gotta say. So we've been walking through the book of Colossians. We're about halfway through. And just to give a little refresher of what we've been hearing is that this book is actually a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it to these group of Christians, this church that was in the city of Colossae. And Colossae was this city back a long time ago that would have been geographically where the country of Turkey is today in Asia. And Paul's writing this letter around 2,000 years ago, but we can see that what he says is actually still relevant to us today. It's for Christians who lived 2,000 years ago, Christians who live now, all the Christians who've lived in between. It's for us. And we've read in these first couple chapters some things like Jesus is all we need to get to God and that all is grace and that Jesus is enough for us. But it can cause us as Christians sometimes to wonder that if grace really is enough, when I read the Bible, why do I still see some rules in there? Some things that I'm supposed to do, some things I'm not supposed to do. And sometimes, just like those people who lived in Colossae, we're confused about how we should live, how we should walk out this life as a Christian. And today, we're going to see that Paul gets super practical with us in the way he talks. He says, don't do these things, do these things. But unfortunately, over time, some of his words have gotten a little misunderstood. And so I, I grew up to going to church pretty much my whole life. And I've, I've seen by living in the church that it can be easy for us as Christians to think of what we're supposed to do. Like, just be focused on that. Like, I've got to check off this box and that box and do this and do that. And when we do that, sometimes we fall into this web of self-righteousness. Or maybe on the other hand, we focused on what we're not supposed to do. I can't do this. I can't do that. And it can make being a Christian feel quite impossible. And it can make us live out of guilt. And I know I have lived in those two camps. I struggle in those two camps of thinking. But what we want to do is actually look holistically at all of this under this big umbrella of Jesus and who he is and what our lives look like in him. So let's pray together, and then we're going to see what Paul has to say. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. We thank you how you want to be with us and how you are with us, how you see us, how you know us. And you know, each one of us, how we came in this morning, how we're really doing So, Holy Spirit, would you bring your truth? 
Would you pour out your truth in our hearts and our minds? And would you speak to us with just what we each individually need, how we each need to hear from you? We just say we need you. You are welcome here. We just want to see you, Jesus. Amen. So this is a bit of a lengthy passage, but I feel like it's good for us to read it all right at the top so we get a full understanding of everything Paul is saying. And we're going to start up in chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So if we pause for a minute, Paul here, he's just continuing to remind us of who we are in Jesus, that we've actually been raised in Christ, he's now our life, and we can fix our thoughts on him. And then we can keep reading, picking back up in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator." Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So here Paul is telling us what we're not supposed to do. And why? Because we now have this new life in Jesus. So let's keep reading and he's going to let us know what we should do. There in verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, Whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
So I think it's important to say just right from the start before we go any farther that we need to remember verse 12. It says, we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. We look at all of this under those words. Because God says himself that we're chosen by him. We're now holy. We're made completely right with him. He dearly loves us. And nothing can take that away. Nothing at all. And you know, you would think that this would be enough for us to just stay in that beautiful truth. But I don't know about you. But after reading this passage, my mind really isn't quick to stay there. It's really more quick to go to those lists of the don'ts and the do's. You know, don't, don't, don't. Don't be immoral with your sexuality. Don't be greedy. Don't act out in anger. Don't be deceitful in any way. Don't talk poorly about others or use harsh or abusive language. And then it can be pretty overwhelming to read the next list that follows, the things we're supposed to do. We're told to have compassion and patience and humility. We're told to forgive anyone and everyone and love anyone and everyone. And so it can be easy to make it about us. Like, this is what I've got to do. And this is what I've got to not do. And make it about us instead about Jesus. But if you remember, our whole theme here is that Jesus is enough. And so as we look closer at these verses today, we're going to see that there is a whole lot more to these words than just a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts. And so a couple weeks ago, you might remember that Andrew preached, and he had this slide. He shared this slide with us. We have a set of stairs, and the cross down at the bottom represents Jesus, And God is up at the top of the stairs. And Andrew talked about how many times when we start following Jesus, we feel like we just have to go up all these stairs to get to God. And those stairs can be thinking the right way, doing the right things. But Andrew said that's actually not true at all. And we can see on the next slide that actually Jesus takes us straight to God. And Jim, you can hit play again, and it'll show that. The cross just moves straight to God. Jesus takes us straight there. And JT also spoke to this last week. We have a slide from his sermon. And he said, it is not Jesus plus the right political party. It's not Jesus plus going to the right church or having the right theology or morals, sexual orientation, or the list could go on and on. It's not that. That Jesus is enough. And the same applies to this third chapter of Colossians when we look here. It is not Jesus minus all those listed sins we read plus all those listed virtues. It's not running the math on that, having that equation. No, it's just Jesus. It's only him. 
But at the same time, we do see that there is a response in us that results from Jesus being enough. There's a reaction in us that results from knowing the real Jesus and experiencing his radical love for us. Because like we just read in our verses, it said, we have already been raised with Christ. So therefore, we respond out of that new life that he gave us for free. And we can see more about this in verses 9 and 10 if we take a look there. Here, it's talking about what happens when we make that choice to follow Jesus. It says, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So I want to look at a couple of those words there. The word new comes from the Greek word neos, meaning something new that wasn't there before, something new on the scene, much like when a little baby is born. There's real change at that moment in time. So when we accept Christ, we're new right then and there. There's no more that needs to be done. It's new life in Jesus. And when we look at the meaning of the phrase is being renewed, that comes from the Greek word kainos, and it means the quality, a sense of becoming more and more developed, growing in quality from one stage to a higher stage. So growing. And plus, this verb phrase, it's actually the present passive form, which means it's just an activity that's currently taking place, and it keeps taking place on and on and on. It never stops. There's no end. So what we can really glean from these two Greek words, the real meanings, is that number one, we have that instantaneous, life-changing, newness of life moment when we follow Jesus. And then number two, as we keep living our lives, all of our days are spent becoming more and more developed in Jesus, developing in him. And this verse tells us how to do it. If you notice it said, we are being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So simply put, The better we get to know Jesus, the more we can choose to look like him. We can make that choice because we know who he really is. So many of you may have kids who have played a sport when they were little or know kids who've played a sport. And, and you know, kids can sign up to play when they're in preschool or kindergarten when they're pretty little. And I remember we signed up our boys to play soccer years ago, and all of a sudden, they were just on the team because everybody gets to play, which is a good thing. Everybody gets to do it. So we signed them up, and now just all of a sudden, they're a soccer player. But a pretty cute thing happens because if you can picture going to those soccer games and you're watching these four- and five-year-olds run around on the field— 
if we're really honest, it's just complete and utter chaos that's a little bit controlled. And my husband and I would be sitting on the sidelines just cracking up because it's so cute to watch. And they don't really know where to go. They don't really know the rules fully. They have this idea, you know, I know I'm supposed to kick the ball. I know I get to run a lot and I need to try to get that ball in the goal. But over the years, as my boys kept playing, they started to learn more and more of what it means to be a soccer player. They learned the rules for how to play the right way. And they learned to work together as a team. And they learned it's really important to listen to the coach and do what he, he or she tells me to do. And they learned what their role was on the team. They learned how to hone in on the position that they played. And over time, with more and more practice, they developed. And they are not the same players today that they were when they were five years old. They've grown because they've learned what it really means to be a soccer player. And so it's that way with Jesus for us. Because when we first accept him, we're instantly on the team. We don't have to try out or be good enough to follow him. But we do notice that we continue to make mistakes because when we decided to follow Jesus, we didn't know what it fully means to follow him. We didn't know what all it entailed. And we're really like those cute little kids running around on the soccer field. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to get to know Jesus better, know who he really is. And the more we know who he is, the better we can choose to live life him, like him. So Paul is kind here to help us out. He gives us some good advice all throughout this passage about how to get to know Jesus better, how we do that. And we can see that in verses 1 and 2. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So if you want to take notes, that's going to be our first point, to set your heart and mind on things above. Now, setting our hearts and minds on things above does not mean that we just kind of walk around with our heads in the clouds, only thinking about heaven, and just totally ignoring everything that's going on around us and the people around us, we don't do that. And the big reason is because God loves the earth. He made it. He made all the things here. He created people. He cares about what's happening right here and now. It's important to him. So we don't overlook those things. But setting our hearts and minds on things above does mean that we are seeking his perspective and we are bringing his perspective into our lives. We seek his presence. We're really partnering with him because we are now people of his kingdom. We belong to his kingdom and we partner with him to bring more of his kingdom here on the earth. So, my son, my oldest son, Gabe, he's now 16 years old. I asked him if I could share this story because when he was two years old, he loved the TV show Sesame Street. 
It's all he wanted to do is watch that show. And he was just infatuated with the character Elmo, you know, the red furry guy. You can probably picture Elmo. And he loved him so much. And we had gotten him this little stuffed toy of Elmo. And Gabe took him everywhere. Everything he did, Elmo was right there. So he'd be playing down on the floor, lying down with his cars and trucks. And Elmo was lying right there beside him. Um, If we would go to the grocery store, I'd be pushing the cart and Gabe would be strapped in in the little seats there at the front. And he'd have one thumb in his mouth and his other arm just wrapped tight around Elmo the whole ride through the grocery store, up and down the aisles. And over time, Elmo got pretty dirty. He actually got pretty gross. And if I had any hope of cleaning up that little Elmo, I would have to sneak into Gabe's room late at night when he was totally out asleep. And I would gently pull up his arm and reach in and get Elmo and leave the room and clean him up and hope that Elmo would be dry in the morning because I know Gabe would be looking for him. Because Gabe's thoughts, they were always on Elmo. He was always looking for his toy, making sure that he was close by. And so for us, Jesus needs to be our Elmo. And, you know, I never thought I would actually say those words out loud in that order all together in the same sentence. But if you think about it, this is really what this verse is saying. It gives us a picture of that, that just like Gabe with Elmo, we're to be always looking for where God is. We want to make sure he's with us. We're looking for his presence. We're thinking about him. We have our thoughts on him. And if our thoughts are on him, we're just talking to him. And we're asking him things like, okay, God, I've noticed I'm just discouraged all the time lately. It's easy for me to put myself down and feel like I'm a failure. But God, I need your truth in my mind. Would you please bring it? Would you please just put your thoughts in my mind? Or maybe you're a student at school, maybe in the cafeteria where everybody's having lunch, and for some reason, it's almost like all the other kids have faded away, and you see this girl sitting at a table, and you feel like you're noticing a sadness about her. You can say, Holy Spirit, I feel like you're really highlighting her to me. What are you doing What's going on here? Is there something you'd like me to say? Is there something you'd like me to do? Or maybe your spouse wants to end your marriage. Or someone close to you is really, really sick. And it looks pretty hopeless. You ask for God's perspective. You say, I need your presence. I need your thoughts, God. Because, see, Paul knew that we live in a great tension here on earth because we're surrounded by thing after thing after thing that is not of God. And he knew that to combat that, we need to have our hearts and we need to have our minds fixed on Jesus. 
So I wonder what it would look like if that verse there became our prayer, that verse, God, set my mind on you. When your thoughts are just out of control with distractions, God, set my mind on you. Or when you just keep having these unhealthy feelings about someone else, God, set my mind on you. Or if you have absolutely no clue of what to do in a situation, God, I need your thoughts. Set my mind on you, please. And we can have this quick little prayer in our back pocket to come back to again and again and again. And what that does is it resets our focus on Jesus. Because this is what it looks like to set our hearts and our minds on the things that are above, the things of him. So now if you're taking notes, we're going to move on to point number two. The second way we can know Jesus better and know how to live is to focus on his character. Focus on the character of Jesus. And I want to go back to those two lists we read earlier. So here's the first one. There's a slide up here. It has them all listed out. And I want to be really clear that this is not an end-all, be-all list of all the sins ever. And sin is just simply anything that's not like Jesus. That's what a sin is. And there are many more sins that can be added to the list, or we could even put these into different categories. But in general, we as people tend to sin and struggle in these three broad areas. We all do. Uh, One being the physical with our senses— two, with our attitudes, and three, with our speech, what's coming out of our mouths. And we can also notice that with sin, there's a tendency to put ourselves first, to disregard others, to please ourselves, a lot of times maybe at the expense of other people. And here, Paul's writing to a specific group of people, and he might have listed these certain sins because they kept popping up in Colossae over and over. But we got to remember, we are no different than the people at Colossae. We struggle with these sins and even more than these. But it's good to notice what Paul said right before he wrote out this long list. In chapter 5, he said, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, whatever it is, whatever that is earthly in us. And we got to be honest, many times there are lots of earthly things in us, right? Sins on this list, sins off the list. But now we don't have to stop doing these before we come to Jesus. No, we just come to him as we are. But a really good thing happens when we do. And that is we don't stay the same. Because when we come to him just as we are, he's now living in us. And we see this in the book of Romans in chapter 8. It says, and Christ lives within you. He is in you. And so if he lives in us, then who he is, his character is in us. Maybe you just really needed to hear that today. 
but his character is already there. And as we get to know his character, then we get to know what our character should look like, how we live out, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And we know that Jesus never did any of those sins. He was perfect. But the reason he wants us to be like him is because he just loves us so much. And he knows when we do these things, they're like a cancer. And it just spreads throughout our lives. And it will only destroy us. It will only destroy the people around us. And I know I can sure speak from experience that when I live outside of the character of Jesus, it might feel good to me at first. There might be a high that comes off of that, but it only ends up hurting me and hurting those around me, my family, my friends. And he's asking us to turn away from sin because he just wants us to thrive He wants us to be healthy and whole because he loves us. And so we've looked at the character of God and we've seen what he is not, what he doesn't look like, but what does he look like? In other words, who is Jesus? Who is he? And we can see who he is in verse 12 in that list of what we're supposed to look like because this is who he is. He is compassion. He is kindness and humility. He was the creator of gentleness and patience. He's the one who thought up that we need to bear with one another and forgive. He is peace. He is love. And we don't have the time to know what all these fully mean to look at their definitions, but it's easy to see that they all involve a supernatural ability. We can't just do these. We can't just up and do them. We might start, but we can't keep going. And many times these involve a supernatural ability to let others be first. Like say compassion for example. For instance, maybe there's a new family that's moved into your your area. They're an immigrant family. They don't know how to get around. Everything is new. And you've noticed that it's hard for them, that it's difficult. And you pair that knowing with action. And maybe where you'd rather spend your time doing something else, you give them your time. And you help them navigate their new city. Or maybe you have very legitimately been hurt by a friend. And you still extend forgiveness just in the way Jesus has forgiven you. And it means loving those who are very hard to love. I like how the message paraphrases it like this. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. You know, it can be easy to look at this list of what to do and think, well, sure, Jesus could do all this because he's Jesus after all. He can do it. How can I do it? 
And no, I can't do these things. You can't do these things. But remember what we talked about earlier. We now have Christ who is, he is, he is all these things, and he is in us. He is now in us, so we have them. We don't have to strive to go get them or pick them up or look for them. We've already got them because of Jesus. And you know, we've seen a lot of language here in our passage that gives us a picture of getting dressed. Things like take off the old, put on the new, clothe yourselves, wear this. And there's this beautiful imagery of us taking off the old clothes that we used to wear before we knew Jesus and putting on this amazing set of clothes, the most amazing set of clothes you could think of because Jesus is holding them out for us. It just brings a picture to mind of maybe a husband who you're getting ready to leave the house and he gets his wife's coat and he just holds it up and all she has to do is just slip into it. It's pretty effortless. Or maybe a big sister who's helping her little brother put on a shirt and, you know, little kids, they just like to raise up their arms like they do and just stand there. And so big sister just slides his shirt on over his arms, over his head, and he's ready to go. It was easy for him. And for us, Jesus is the one who's standing there. He's holding out our new clothes. All we have to do is slip them on. Because when we know the character of our Jesus, we become more and more of who he is and less and less of who he isn't. Our job is just we choose to wear the clothes. We choose to keep wearing them. And we do that with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've covered that we get to know Jesus better by having our hearts and minds on things above and by focusing on his character. And we can get to know Jesus better as well by meeting together with other believers. We meet together. And we see it in verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So Paul's telling us here, meet together, teach each other, admonish each other. And that word admonish, what it means is to advise in an earnest manner. So we spur each other on because this is important. But if you notice, Paul isn't saying here, okay, pastor, you go do the teaching and the admonishing, and church leaders, you do that too. You need to advise all the people. He doesn't do that. He says that every person in the church has this responsibility. We all do it. We all teach. We all admonish. And so if we're taking turns doing that, then that means we're also taking turns being the ones to receive it. We all receive the teaching. We all receive the admonishing. And we see that they were also worshiping together, 
singing songs to God, much like we did here at the beginning of the service. And I've noticed that there's something that happens when we sing to God. And that is our main goal when we gather together in worship. We are lifting him up. We are singing to him who he is and what he's done, and we're thanking him. But he's such a kind father, a good God, that when we do that, he also gives to us. He, we receive as well. And one of the things we receive in worship is we're reminded of who God is, what he's done, his character. And it's really hard for me to put in words. There's just something supernatural that happens when we meet together and sing to him. And you've probably felt this. It's like this unity of all of us here, all of us in unity together, paired with all of us in unity together in unity with God. And it's powerful. And I know I can come in here from a week and I might feel really hopeless or discouraged or facing something hard, maybe kind of feeling the weight of the world on my shoulders. But when I hear you guys singing and I'm singing along with you, I mean, it's like we leave here as different people than we came in because we've been reminded of who our Father is and that He is for us. He's always been faithful, that He is our joy, He is our hope. And we're encouraged to leave here and keep living it out, keep being like Him. You know, this reminds me a lot of my small group. Um, there's a group of us here from the church. We meet every other week or so at one of the couple's homes, and we have lots of really yummy snacks. We drink great coffee. Our hosts are just amazing hosts. And we joke and we laugh a lot. And we also worship God together and we study his word, and we share all the things with each other. We share the exciting and the good things, and we also share where things are hard in our life and where we're struggling, and we pray for each other. And I've noticed something happen as the months have added up that we've met together. For some of us, the years have added up. I've noticed what ha what's happened is I've actually gained a greater and a deeper knowledge of who Jesus is. By spending time with these beautiful people who have become like family to me, they're my brothers and sisters, and they've spoken into my life and they've challenged me, but I've also really seen Jason and Andrea, for example. Jason and Andrea and their love. And I've seen Doug's humility, and I've seen Laura's compassion for people around her, and I've seen Eric and Annie and their gentleness and kindness in their family, and I've seen Sally's peace and Ben's forgiveness, and I see Jesus alive in them. I see who Jesus is in them, and it makes me want to be more like Jesus, and so if you're not in a small group, you are welcome anytime to come to our group. We would love to have you. And you, you know, our church has a wall out there with information on every group here. 
And I would just encourage you to look at that and see what could be a good fit for you. And so we're going to wrap things up with that last verse here in chapter 17, because it really does tie everything together that we've been talking about. And it says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So what happens when we learn who Jesus really is, there's this response that comes out of us, this natural response of being very grateful, wanting to obey him, because we see a Jesus whose character is pure, A Jesus who rescues us from sin that would only hurt us and destroy us. A Jesus who gives us new life and fills us with his character qualities. We learn how he's the one who does all the changing. All we need to do is just put on the clothes that he's holding out for us. And this is the Jesus that we want to follow. He's good. And this is the Jesus that we want to thank when we see what he's all about. And so as you've been sitting here, you may have been feeling things like, boy, I am experiencing the pressures of the don'ts and the do's that I've been focusing on. Maybe there's even been someone who's been making you feel that pressure. But you're feeling the truth of Jesus here saying, nope. Nope, there's no pressure there. There's no condemnation there. It's just an invitation to follow me, to live out of the character that I'm giving you. Or maybe you feel this longing for more Christian community. Or maybe there's been um, a trusted Christian who's been advising you to do a certain thing. And you're knowing, yeah, yeah, that is, that is the right way to go. Or maybe you come to the end of your day and lately you've been thinking, you know, my thoughts really haven't been on Jesus. They haven't really been looking for his activity around me. And Jesus is inviting you to bring him into your thought life. Or maybe hearing about Jesus and his character makes you think, wow, That is someone I can give my whole life to. That is someone who is worthy of my life, someone I want to follow. I want to follow him. And you haven't followed him before. You haven't made that decision. And you're feeling that this morning. So why don't we just go ahead and stand up? We're going to end our service standing and Isaiah and Brielle are going to come up. They're going to lead us in two last worship songs here. We're going to sing this first song, and I really want to invite you during this song to just talk to God about some of the things that really got stirred up in you as you've been sitting here. You know, that stirring up, that's the Holy Spirit. Those are kind of those zingers to the heart where you're like, yep, that's where I am. That's for me. And, and he was stirring up those things for a reason because he cares about you. And 
He wants you to leave here having spent time with him in those areas. So as we sing this first song, just reflect on what God has been speaking to you. And after we sing this first song, I'll come back up and you can come forward. I'll invite you to come and get prayer for those things. There'll be people who would love to pray with you and bring this to Jesus. So, so let's pray. Let's say, Holy Spirit, we know you are here and we just ask for more of you. We ask for more of you. We thank you that when you bring things up, you're not condemning, you're not pouring guilt on us, that you're, you're inviting us, you want wholeness for us. And I ask in the name of Jesus that your truth would fall on our minds and on our hearts and that we would be able to really understand your nudges, what you're doing. We ask you to come, Holy Spirit. We want to respond to you. There's nothing worth more That will ever come close No thing can compare You're our living hope Your presence, Lord I've tasted and seen Of the sweetest of love Where my heart becomes free shame is Your prayer. 
just really want to encourage you to come forward with those things that that God was speaking to you as you reflected. Come forward and get prayer. Someone will pray for you about these things that God keeps bringing to mind. Um, So please move forward, and we just ask that men pray for men, women pray for women. And also, if you're not coming up to get prayer, I would encourage you to just sing out and worship, just like we were talking about, the unity of worshiping together and what happens when we do that, um, how God meets with us in that. I just encourage you to really sing out as we sing this last song. Just to add to what Olivia's saying, you know, I love that we one of the high values in the vineyard is that we believe that God is here with us and here we are gathered together and he's active in our midst and I just had some thoughts come to my mind and one was a couple physical things one was for that there are people here today that either it's been chronic or recent that you have hearing loss and if that's you I just would encourage you to get prayer and this may be connected to that but I also felt like I just again these are just little thoughts that go through your mind it's not I don't have a red phone to God I wish I did if you have one I'd love to borrow it but But I just had the thought, people who struggle with balance, you're off balance. They could be connected. And then one last thing was as uh, uh, I saw a picture of someone sitting down in front of a, like a, you know, like in the movies, like a makeup mirror. And they, they turned the lights on and they looked, they saw themselves. And this isn't about physical looks, it's about heart. They looked and they just thought, oh, they just, they were so ashamed of what they saw in the mirror. And they quickly started putting on gobs of makeup. And I saw Jesus just reach in and say, no, I accept you. I want you just the way you are. Because part of being found is you first have to recognize you're lost. And so I just encourage you, if that, anything I said or what Olivia said grabs your heart, don't miss out on it. That's God saying, hey, I want to I wanna work in your life today. So, so come on up and get prayer.